We all woke up this morning to a world full of obligations. Obligations to our employers who pay us, our friends who helped us move into our apartment, our neighbor who helped us when our home was flooded, to our children who need assistance to get into college, to our elderly parents who cared for our needs when we were helpless and now require us to look after them in their helplessness. The kindness of strangers and family members place us in moral or legal debt to the givers of those gifts. We owe them, and that extends to our relationship with God. If you are a Christ follower, no one has given you more at a higher cost than your Savior. But with those costly gifts come specific obligations. If you want a fuller understanding of your obligations as a child of God, then keep listening because today, Nathan Norman, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Kent Edwards discuss the second of two obligations of every believer. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of 1 Peter. If you have a Bible handy, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, to chapter 2, verse 10, as we join their discussion. Brian just mentioned, and we saw in our last week's podcast, when we receive gifts of any kind, we put ourselves under some obligation to the giver, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's true that in a negative sense. I have some friends who bought timeshares and... Uh, <laughs> vacation properties. And it was wonderful for the first year or two, but now they are indebted on an ongoing basis and they cannot escape that. Uh, so yeah, it's an obligation that they entered into that they wish they hadn't. The whole idea of abusing obligation has been used by cults in the past. I don't know if you're familiar enough to remember this, but do you remember when um, you would come out of an airport and there was... There were people dressed in robes who would hand out flowers to people who were coming out. And then they'd ask for money and they'd get it because people felt obligated, yeah. even though they didn't want the flower. <laughs> right. But because you took the gift, you're obligated. But it can also be very positive, the whole idea of obligation. A couple who are dating, the, the gifts grow in size as the relationship progresses, right? It's one thing when you start with a cup of coffee, that's a gift. It doesn't provide a lot of obligation, but as the relationship grows, yeah, a diamond ring is a, maybe a good end point, or at least the next step in a relationship. The Apostle Peter applies this principle to his listeners' relationship with God. What gifts has God given his children then and now? Oh, well, adoption mm -hmm. and you know the promise of that inheritance, which are the two main things Peter started this epistle off as. Uh, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. who dwells within every believer and gives us spiritual strength and guidance and wisdom. And since large gifts bring significant obligations, what in our last podcast did Peter outline as the number one obligation to our Savior? He said we had to be holy, holy as he is holy, as God is holy. Yeah. So... Why start with that? I mean, why would that be such an important obligation that we have because of uh, what he's done for us? 
Oh, he's done so much. I don't understand the question. If, if So why holiness? If, if, if indeed we were holy, everything else would take care of itself, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> but also because without uh, fulfilling obligation number one to our Lord, right. the obligation of holiness, it is impossible for us to fulfill obligation number two. Look at what obligation number two is. Obligation number two last week was hard enough. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Uh, cheer up, it gets harder. Um, <laughs> look at what he says in um, chapter one, verse 22 and 23. He says, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So what's the obligation we have? To love one another sincerely. Yeah. So why is holiness required before he comes to loving? Because we're not going to do that unless <laughs> we're holy. Because love, isn't a, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. It's an action. It's a response. And we do it obediently. I may not feel a certain way towards somebody. I may not feel positively but if I'm supposed to treat them lovingly, I can do that if I'm holy. The essence of sin is selfishness. Right. Take any sin and at its core, it's putting ourself first. Only when we are holy, like God, can we act like God, who gave himself for others, who gave himself for us. Only holy people can love one another deeply. So he's moving from a personal relationship with God and how it affects our relationships with others, right? Yeah. So you can, you can never get them out of order because it's impossible to love other people deeply from the heart unless we are also holy. And Peter continues in chapter two, verse two, with this theme, what does he say there? Well, he, he wants us to grow. He says like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that mm. by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Hmm. So our Christian faith is not so much a state as it is a relationship. And so it, it has a point of beginning. That's where the state occurs. But then there's always growth. Isn't that like we have similar to our relationships with others? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's like the relationship babies have with milk. I have a baby. <laughs> and it's amazing. It's like we have like his bottle and we're getting ready to give it to him. He can see that it's coming and he wants it so bad. He just starts crying for it. And we're like, dude, it's it's like three seconds away, but he wants it. And he's been doing such a good job of eating that he's moved on to other foods and he's uh, more than double, maybe tripled his size. Uh, since he was born, he's now six months, and he's uh, he's just getting big and bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and so our relationship with him changes. Uh, but to go back to your question, beyond the metaphor, you know, we have relationships like like the relationship uh, I have with my wife now, right? When we started dating, it, it was completely different than it is now. And sometimes we'll look back and muse like, yeah, you remember how we used to communicate? <laughs> 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 but it's matured over time, and it's grown deeper and better, and I, I wouldn't go back to our earlier relationship for anything. Yeah. We never move away from our saving faith in Jesus. 
but we do progress further and deeper into our relationship with Christ. It grows more intimate. When I see how my relationship with Christ has changed over the years, I think of how my relationship with my two boys have changed over the years. <laughs> they were little and went through all the stuff you're going through now, Nathan. And um, uh, But now my two boys have grown up. They're married and they've moved away to start their careers. And our relationship is different. I think it's better. Uh, I enjoy my relationship with them. But my relationship has changed through the years as I've continued to, to grow and as they have as well. Vicki, I think you probably experienced something similar with your parents. Yeah, you go from, at least my experience was, I went from little girl to trying my own wings. My, my mother was more, had her arms around me more, and my father would be pushing me out of the nest. And then I was out of the nest, and then I got to a point where they were advisors. And mm -hmm. now um, my precious dad is gone, and my mother is more helpless, and I'm taking care of her. So it's, there's a progression all the way through life. Yeah. And according to the Apostle Peter, our relationship with Christ will change as we grow up in our salvation. Those are his words. As we mature in Christ. What will that look like? Well, uh, Peter brings that out starting in verse 4. He says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Hmm. You can unpack some of that, Nathan. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's saying, as you grow in Christ, right, with the spiritual yeah. milk, as yeah. we grow and mature and our relationship with him changes, you become like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Yeah, okay, now we're into metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll uh, punt to you, uh, Nathan, Vicky's suggestion, but uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> help us understand what he's saying here. Well, he's using the metaphor of the temple, which was still mm -hmm. in existence as he's writing this, that this is the place that people go to encounter and rightly worship God. But but now you individuals who've trusted in Christ, you're the you are the stones that make up the temple. You're you're the church universal. And ah. the church no longer has walls mm. uh, other than you. The borders of the church begin and end with you. And so wherever you go, you bring the church or the temple, as it were, with you. There's no more borders with this church. And now, you know, in the New Testament times and beyond up till today, uh, we have church buildings, but mm -hmm. the church is the people. Hmm. And it's fascinating here, he calls them living stones, which obviously means they're not dead, but but I think it means more than that. It means that they're not static, right? Yes, yeah. Um, they grow. They are growing, and as they grow and they have influence, then the church continues to grow. But the church isn't made of one stone. I mean, it's, he'll go on, and the reader can read that the cornerstone of the church is? Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. So we are part of the cornerstone of a building Jesus is building, an active participant in that. And as you rightly identified, this building, this new temple, is today the what? The church universal. The church. Absolutely. And Peter continues in verses 9 and 10, uh, his emphasis on how growing, maturing Christians will build into other people with some complementary metaphors. 
is this supposed to make sense? I'm sorry if it doesn't. What's our role as stones? Is that supposed to be apparent now? No, because I think he emphasizes that more in verses 9 and 10. Okay, and there it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in these two verses, what is Peter saying to us as he speaks to the ancient audience? you got to trust Christ personally. So it is a personal relationship, but it doesn't begin and end there. You have to live that salvation out in relation with others. So as chosen people, uh, mm -hmm. Israel, obviously this is a reference to ancient Israel, correct? Right. So as they were a chosen people, and God's purpose for them was to live distinctive lifestyles in a way that would influence the world, right? Correct. That by looking at how they lived, the pagan nations could catch a glimpse of God. And they were also, they had a priesthood. What does that mean for priests? What was the role of the priest in the Old Testament? The priests bring people to God. Right. So when people are far from God and they want to be reconciled with God, the only way they could do that in the Old Testament was through the actions of the priest. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Who would lead mm -hmm. them through the necessary sacrifices so they could know forgiveness of their sin from God. Welcome to our purpose. We are to live distinctive Christian lives that influence the world so people can see in our behavior what God is like. And as they see that behavior, we are to act as priests and lead them not just to the sacrificial table, but to the one who was sacrificed for us, to the person of Jesus Christ. Our lifestyle results in the gospel, in evangelism, so we can tell people about the salvation that is available to them. But it's only possible if we are a holy nation. Because without holiness first, the rest will not be accomplished. Well, the rocks are small. <laughs> <laughs> but but notice, we will never accomplish this on our own. Right? Yeah. Because we are a nation. We are a chosen people. People. We're part of the priesthood. We're not just priests. We are part of the priesthood. This is all plural. Yeah. As we grow in our relationship with God, as our commitment to him matures and deepens as all good relationships should, then our relationship with others, other Christians, will grow and develop. And as that grows and develops and more stones are added and more stones are added, Christ's church continues to grow around the world. Mm. Yeah, pun intended, it's not a rock star, it's a rock <laughs> band. <laughs> the Christian faith begins with an individual commitment to Christ, but it is lived corporately. So we are to be stones in Christ's growing worldwide church. We are today what ancient Israel was before Christ, a nation that together accomplish God's work in the world. Priests who were agents of people's reconciliation with God. A huge worshiping community that together honors God's character and work in the entire world. Whew. This is a powerful passage because it's saying that the Christian life must be lived in 
community. There's no such thing as the isolated lone wolf Christian. And what happens when we try to live our spiritual life alone? Well, the exact opposite of what he just told us in verses 9 and 10. We are not contributing in a significant way to God's work in the world. Vicki, Nathan, where have you seen this in action? Where have you seen living stones, Christians actively committing themselves to Christ's church so that God's ministry and influence in the world can expand exponentially? I've seen that in this ministry. I see that with crosstalk where people come together, they give money, they sit on a board, they send people out. I've seen you do it. You've worked with pastors all over the world and some of the most, I had to write down one of the places today because I'd never even heard of it. Um, <laughs> just third world countries and teach those pastors how to effectively preach the word of God. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah it is. And I'm humbled to be able to be, to realize that I'm not just alone and I'm not just part of a local church, but I can contribute to God's worldwide church. And worldwide church. Yeah, amazingly so. Yeah, from the local perspective, right, I see this a lot in VBSs where mm -hmm. it's not, it, you can run a VBS with a few people and they're very stressed out at the end. Uh, but effectively, you get most of the church involved and they come and they surround and sometimes there's more volunteers than there are kids. And those uh -huh. kids know the love of Jesus by the end of the week and it would not have happened if it was only a few people running it. Uh, but you also see it in children's ministry, right? You can you can run a church service with a pretty lean crew, right? The and I've seen church services where you've got you know the pastor's on the piano running hymns, and then he comes up and he's preaching, or you know you have the pastor, and then you've got a, a worship team, and they're kind of the ones running the show. But you go into children's ministry, you can't you, you can't for legal or safety purposes, you know, run a children's ministry with just one person. You have to have a group of people who are willing to give of their time, energy, and get absolutely no glory in return to show these kids love in the name of Jesus. And a good children's ministry will have just men and women coming together to shape the church. They're not the future church. They are the church. And to, uh, to build and grow them in their, their young faith. Amen. And haven't you seen, as you have been part of churches and being those living stones to contribute to the growth of Christ's church, that that has been growth producing and energizing for you as individuals? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've never been so frustrated in ministry as when you are trying to put something together and no one's interested. And hmm. you're, try, you're trying to use every tool in your belt to try and get volunteers to sign up and just can't get anyone to do the work. But rather, when you have a work day, you know, you're putting on a uh, a wheelchair ramp and you know it's supposed to take like all day long and you had so many people show up you don't know exactly what to do with everybody and you're gone before lunch right that's that's energizing it's encouraging yeah. so what would you say to those who say they are not part of a local church because they can't find a church that uh, meets their standards or their needs so they've chosen to uh, yes be christians but uh, do so alone I would say two things. That's I understand that. I, I know that when I go to church, I want to feel a certain way. But I would also say that's not biblical, that we're supposed to be part of a body. We're supposed to be 
in, in this metaphor, we're supposed to be part of a building. We're supposed to be stones together. And um, <laughs> if you're just a rock sitting at home, nothing's going to happen. You're not contributing. You're not building. And, and you need to stand together. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, for in the first case, if there's people that are staying home because you had a bad church experience, maybe you experienced spiritual abuse at a church. I understand that, and I agree with you. Uh, there are healthy churches around. It might take some time and effort, and time is the key to, you know, sit back and, and observe a church and see if they are who they present themselves to be. But it's worth it. And for everyone else, I would say don't try and find a church that you like. Find a church that needs you. Hmm. Find a church that needs you to help out with children's ministry. Find hmm. a church that needs you with the music ministry. Uh, find a church that needs someone who can help do some of the secretarial work. Uh, find a church that uh, that needs you to um, to greet people or find a church that's not particularly friendly and they need friendly people greeting the newcomers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, go to a church where you can serve. There you go, John Kennedy. Don't ask what your church can do for you. <laughs> no, that's 100% yeah. correct, though. Because we often look at it the other way, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to go to this church. They don't have enough teens for my kids or they don't have a youth group. Dun, 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 dun. Start the youth group. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's not enough people my age there. Okay, well, start to be the people there your age and start inviting your friends. And when you do, you will grow. Because as you use the gifts God has given you and you start acting in the role that God has made you to do, that will be spiritually growth inducing. And if you are growing in Christ and ministering to others, they will begin to grow in Christ. And you can start the snowball rolling and you can help transform that church into what, from what it is to what it needs to be. Because we are living stones. The fact is God lives in community. He always has. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God made us to live in community. It was not good for Adam to be alone. He needed someone. We need others. And we all await an eternity with not only God, but enjoying the community of the saints of all the ages. Because every nation, tongue, and tribe is going to gather around the throne in great community. We come from a God of community. We're made for community. We need community. Christ died to create his church because godly local churches that radiate righteousness are beacons of spiritual hope and transformation hotspots around the globe. So my suggestion would be to find a local church, belong to a local church, because this is not only an invitation to significance, but an obligation that you have because of what Christ has done for you. Because once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are supposed to grow spiritually. And as we grow spiritually, what should occur? As we grow spiritually, our commitment to the church should grow too. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global. 
equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational, nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're enjoying it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of 1 Peter. You won't want to miss it.